You're listening to Mr. Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall. Today, we will hear a 1999 recording of Ruth G. Reichbart's interview with Wayne Armstrong, which was recorded at Bergen Community College on February 28, 1999, on Mayhem in the AM. Your name is Wayne Armstrong, and you have started out, you, start, you finished your, your working, your full-time working career as an executive in a huge corporation. Is that correct? That's right. Now, when you were a child, did you start, were you, was your family working in a corporation? Where were you living? Well, as a, as a child, uh, I lived in western Illinois, where I was born, in a rural community uh, near the Mississippi River, north of St. Louis a little bit, but on the Illinois side of the Mississippi. My parents' uh, families were all farmers. Uh, my dad's father operated a large apple and peach orchard. My mother's family operated a general type farm but with a lot of apples because that area was called the Apple Kingdom of the Midwest. Everybody raised apples. So I grew up there and stayed there until I was 17. Now what was it like on the farm? Did you have all modern improvements for living? <laughs> no. This was a very primitive sort of farm. Matter of fact, many years later after I married Doris, who was a Chicago girl, and I took her down to the old home to visit the relatives, my great aunts and uncles, and I took her out to the farm, and her comment was that, my God, I think I've gone back into the time of Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer. It was a primitive farm. Motive power were two teams of horses. Uh, there was no electricity. There was no running water. Everything was done uh, by hand. Where did you get the water from? We had a, a, a deep well uh, near the farmhouse on my one granddad's farm, and the other one we used had a spring house where a wonderful large spring ran out of a limestone bluff, a limestone ledge into a house, spring house. Spring never went dry, and the, even the hottest summer, the water was always about 56, 58 degrees. So we, uh, we used fresh water. Uh, no one ever seemed to worry about whether it was cam contaminated by anything, and I don't recall that it was ever tested, but none of us died. So a lot of the wash water that uh, they used to wash dishes and laundry and stuff came from a cistern that was fed by rain runoff from the roof of the house. What happened in the wintertime to the rain runoff when it was too cold for rain? Well, when in, in the winter in the wintertime, uh, the the house was pretty warm, and. Uh, the concept of uh, bat insulation hadn't uh, filtered back to Illinois by that time, so the house was uh, thermo thermodynamically a pretty lousy construction. So the snow on the roof melted rather quickly from the heat that went up through the roof, and that snow melt ran down into the cistern and it was used for wash water. Uh, the well never froze. 
Uh, it was about 40 feet deep in the water temperature down there. Air temperature stayed about 50 degrees year-round. How did you heat the house? You must have had oh. some heat. <laughs> they had a lot of heat. Uh, the house, it's, uh, the cooking was done with uh, a wood cook stove, a wood range. We had to split the wood for that. The uh, house heat, the main central heating, if you want to use that phrase, was a very large uh, wood stove, and we spent a goodly part of the winter cutting down timbers in the wood patch and sewing it up into stoveling stuff and racking it for next winter's fuel. You had to drive the wood over the summer in order for it to be usable. Yeah, we'd dry, we'd uh, cut the wood down and they cut the trees down in the winter uh, when there was snow on the ground, and then you could uh, snake the wo- uh, logs out of the woods with a team of horses to my granddad's sawmill and uh, cut them up into stove link, rack it up in big racks outside the house, and uh, let it stay there all summer. And in the winter, you've got nice dried firewood to heat all winter. Oh, what did you do for ice? Did you cut your own ice in the winter? Notions. I never could figure out what ladies' notions were, <laughs> but they, they, uh, this lady sold them. She was a cousin of my mother. There was a barber shop and a saloon. We had to have a saloon. Of course. Would people go and get shaved at the barber shop in the day? Yeah, some some days. of the some of the men did. Uh, uh, some of the men actually were starting to buy safety razors by that time, but this was considered rather profligate because you could only use the blade about twice and then you had to throw it away. Uh, there was a throwing things away back then was, was considered just a little bit immoral. You know, you shouldn't throw things away. So people would go and Polly would shave them. It was Polly or Valentine J. Hayne. He was called Polly. He was also a musician. He was German. He'd come over from Germany about 1912 or so. He brought a batch of little German umpa-type sheet music, and he had a back room behind his barbershop. He had a trumpet back there, and a clarinet, which he played, and a slide, tr- uh, a valve trombone, and a flugelhorn. And we kids from the school band used to go up there in the wintertime and sit in the back of Polly's barbershop and play umpa German music. And uh, I still know a lot of that music. Du bist verrückt, mein Kind. You know, all this wonderful... Fanny, uh, uh, Moosey Den, one of those wonderful songs, Moosey Den, Moosey Den, Soon State, Sile Hinous, Hinous. Anyway, that was, there wasn't anything else to do around. Uh, there were no movies? Yes, there was a movie house. They showed, uh, they showed a movie every Friday night, come rain or shine. Uh, it cost, uh, it cost 10 cents. That was a lot of money. Oh, it was. The, the, the re- they, they always showed a, a cartoon and the current chapter of a couple of serials, usually westerns, and then a small comedy and then the feature film. And you got all of this for, for a dime. You could also buy a, a bag of popcorn for a nickel. So if it had been a good... Uh, week for me in uh, doing odd jobs around town and I had two bits I could take uh, Imogene Powell uh, to the movie and we'd sit in the dark and eat popcorn out of the same bag and very romantic but that was only once only once uh, 
a week did you have a movie, and then only if you had a dime. Well, did you have it all year round, though? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh. Oh, yeah. We, it, was, it, was a, it was a very modern-type movie house. <laughs> Wonderful thing. Well, uh, would you recommend this regime for children today if they could – if they if – they... You mean to grow up as I did? Yes. <clears throat> Well, there must have been some great advantages aside from having all that wonderful food. Yes, there, 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 there were many advantages to growing up as I did. I became, you became uh, the kids, the boys particularly, became jacks of all trades. If you lived on one of these farms, you learned how to work iron because granddad had a blacksmith shop. He, he made everything. If something broke on a farm, a piece of strap iron on a wagon, you just went up to the shop, got a piece of bar stock, and made a new one. So you learned to work iron. You worked leather to make harness for the horses. You made uh, carpentry. The girls uh, all uh, learned and, to cook practically and so everything. so probably. And so, oh, absolutely. And put up stuff for over the for the winter that's right and then some of the iconoclastic girls like my cousin gail insisted on going up and learning how to work iron in a blacksmith shop but she was considered odd you know Uh, my mother had uh was a magnificent seamstress wonderful cook wanted some girls to teach these skills too but what she had uh, was three boys in, in a row and then way later as sort of a an afterthought, she had a little girl, but by that time, she'd given up and had taught all her sons to cook and sew, so I'm a pretty decent seamstress, and I have cooked ever since I was a little kid. So you, you, you learn many things, but there, there were downsides to it, too. Uh, health care was rudimentary in the extreme. There was one doctor in town, I think, most of what he had was a great big bottle full of iodine, which he used for practically all purposes, and, and an emetic that he would give you. Um, uh, he, hadn't, he didn't bleed people anymore. Uh, that, was, that had gone with the board, but the other society he didn't. It, 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 there were some downsides to it. By and large, it was a good place to grow up. You learned how to shoot also. Oh, yes. Yeah, we hunted for food. Had a gun, uh, had a rifle by the time I was... Nobody had pistols, but we all had long guns. We had rifles and shotguns, and we hunted ducks and geese and rabbits and squirrels for food. And and at what age were you allowed to to learn to hunt, do you recall? Uh, yeah, my, my mother's kid brother, Uncle Donald, who is my hero, and who's still alive. He's he's 90-something, and he's, he's great. He taught me he ta- taught me to hunt, and he would take me out when I was big enough to carry the gun. He wouldn't give me any bullets. I'd carry the gun, and he'd teach me how to go through gates with the gun and crawl fences with the gun and how to carry the gun and all of this sort of thing. And when he was pretty sure I wasn't going to trip over the thing, then he'd give me one bullet. And eventually, one time, he gave me a whole box of bullets, and I felt that I'd, I had arrived. And were you allowed to go out on your own with the gun ever? After that, yes. That's marvelous. When I was about 13 or so, I'd go hunting by myself. Hunted a lot with my dad, with Uncle Don. Hunted ducks mostly in the Did fall. Did you go fishing? Always. We lived, uh, when we moved into Campsville when I was uh, sophomore and freshman in high school. It was right on the Illinois River. And uh, we had a little skiff. 
and we'd go out and catch catfish and carp and white perch in the river. Made a trot line one time and ran it all winter and caught fish, and we'd eat them, and then I'd take the extra ones and sell them to a guy named Pontero who had a little fish market. So I made a little money fishing on that, but not much. Well, you certainly had a marvelous childhood, and uh, you didn't have to play soccer. Well, I don't think I ever heard of soccer until well after I left Campsville when I was 17 and went into the Navy. Then I found out that there was a great, huge world out there that I had only known about dimly. Uh, soccer didn't come into it, I think, probably for several years after that, and I wouldn't have recognized a soccer ball if somebody hit me in the head with it. Well, and and someday I'll have to, we'll have to talk about your days in the Navy because I'm sure they were equally interesting. It, it was, uh, it was a... Um, an, an interesting four year, four and a half years, yes, starting with Pearl Harbor and going on through to the end of it. It was, um, it was eventful. But you're not sorry you grew up on a farm. Oh no, never have been. Um, there, there, there were there were two or three wonderful people I met, who one of them turned me on to reading when I was about thirteen. And another one, an English teacher, in the summertime, nobody had any books. She gave me a key to the high school library so that all summer long I could sit in the high school library and read. And I, I that bless that woman's memory because she turned me on to reading and to English. And so finally I took my college work, master's and so forth in English lit as a result of this woman. I'm, that is amazing. That's, she would have been so thoughtful and so helpful. And yeah. <laughs> so I had all during high school time, I had a key to the high school library. And there were books in it. Yeah, there weren't a great number of books in it. I mean, maybe a quarter of what are in the Ridgewood Library over well, here. But that's a great deal. But there were, there were books, and you could sit there and read them and put them back in the shelf and then read some more. It was a great thing. Well... All I can say is that, 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 that you ought to talk to some of the, today's children and tell them what you did when you were their age, and they would be absolutely amazed because they don't do those things. I wrote a little story of this for my grandchildren, uh, sort of how I grew up, so that they would know. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you very much. And I hope you'll come back and talk with us some more. Anytime. It was my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Mr. Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall. Our theme music was played by Ululation. Mr. Radio is available wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. And don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Mr. Radio.